There's going to be some of you that are like, nope, that none of those things apply to me. Okay, I get it. But in most cases, if there's not any natural hills around, there's probably some man-made hills around. Dizwins Radio, episode 705, starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey guys, uh, today's episode of the show is brought to you by Exoskin. Uh, you can save 20% on, on your order on anything that you order from the Exoskin website, which is exoskin.us, by using the code DizRuns at checkout. So if you're in need of some, some good compression gear, new socks, uh, uh, you know, shirts, shirts that breathe, uh, now that spring is hopefully coming um, in, in your area, or you know, if you're somewhere where spring is already here, maybe shoot, maybe summer's already here, you need something, something that breathes well, would definitely encourage you to get some exoskin gear. We'll talk about that more, talk about what they have to offer more as we go. But that is today's sponsor, and uh, certainly appreciate their continued support and appreciate you guys supporting the sponsors. It keeps the money uh, coming in the doors, which keeps the, the lights on, uh, food on the table, and things going in the right direction. So thanks to Exoskin for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget, use the code DizRuns at checkout to save yourself 20% on your order. So today, don't look now, but we are almost, almost officially 25 percent of the way through the year 2019 uh sounds a little crazy uh time is is marching on as time always does and uh you know we're we're a quarter of the way through we got three quarters of the way left to go in this year but uh before we officially you know shut the door lock it and throw away the key on uh, the first quarter of 2019 it's time for a little q and a if you're uh, been around for a while you've been around the, the show and, and you've uh, been there done that when it comes to the q and a's you know what i'm about to say but if you're new to the show which you know Welcome. Welcome those of you that have found the show in the, in the past days or weeks. Uh, maybe you haven't gone back in the archives and, and seen that every month, at the end of each month, I like to do a, a listener Q&A episode where uh, there's no there's no guests, there's no interviews. Um, it's just what you're struggling with, what you're not sure about. Um, sometimes it's, it's more fun questions as well, and we've got a few of those this month. But uh, just open it wide open. You, know, you, you ask, I answer. Hopefully the answers are actually useful, relevant, helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if, if they're not, you, I guess you get what you pay for, right? So hopefully I can give you some good advice uh, that, that helps you out along the way. And we've got a, a big old list of questions today. I think we over 20. Um, and y'all know how I like to talk. So uh, we need to, to dive in quickly or this is going to be the 16-hour the Q&A episode. But uh, before we get to the first question... Do want to uh, let you know that if you're not part of the Facebook group, that is by far the best way to get your questions featured on any Q&A episode of the show. Um, and there's a whole lot of fun that goes on. I think, at least I hope, a whole lot of fun that goes on in the Facebook group as well. Um, so you know, get yourself in, over into the group. If you're on Facebook, just search the Diz Runs Tribe and the, the little Facebook search bar. Uh, you know, click to join. We'll let you in. Don't worry. Uh, and if you're you know out and about, 
or you know on the on the web browser whatever uh, just type in disruns.com slash facebook it'll take you right to the front page of the group again click the button to to join the group don't worry you'll be imp- approved and then just you know don't be a douche and you can stay you can stay in the group uh pretty pretty easy rules you know pretty pretty simple uh and straightforward be cool we'd love to have you uh the group continues to grow but then every every month somewhere in the middle of the month i put a post up that says hey what are your questions this month y'all have a chance to chime in and then I do my best to try to answer them. And that's what we're going to do today. So like I said, we got a lot of questions. I'm going to try to keep my answers short and sweet, but y'all know how that goes. Doesn't, doesn't usually work too well. So we will see if we're setting, we may end up setting new records this month as far as uh, for the longest, longest episode of the show. We, I, I hope not, <laughs> I hope not for my voice's sake, but we will see what happens. So let's, let's dive in, shall we? Uh, the first question comes from Michaela says, uh, can the camber of the road affect your gait enough to make one leg hurt while the other seems okay? My right leg feels swollen and heavy after eight miles on the roads. Yes, Michaela. Yes, it absolutely. That can be a factor. Um, if, if you're not aware for those that aren't the camber of the road, is kind of the, the curve of the road. You know, most, most roads, I think, I think all roads, at least here in the States, pretty much are, you know, of, of a convex variety, meaning they're higher in the middle of the road than they are at the edges. Hopefully not dramatic. Some of them are more dramatic than others. But the reason for that is that when it, when it rains, when there's snow melt, whenever there's water, it helps to prevent the water from flooding the road and creating, you know, some spots where you can hydroplane, things like that, that can be really dangerous for cars. So, you know, the, the higher in the middle, slanted down towards the edges to help the water run off the road. Now, if we're running on the road, which a lot of us do, and there's not much of a shoulder, there's not much of a flat area near the road, you're running with one foot higher than the other um, because of that that slant. So that you're, you kind of shift your, your posture, your hips shift a little bit. Um, and that over time, that can certainly lead to a lot of problems. Um, if you, if you so, so yes, so, so the short answer, Michaela, to your question, yes, that absolutely could, could cause the problem. So then the, the, the most obvious follow-up question in the world, well, how do you address that? Well, again, if, if we're running on the roads on a regular basis, um, you know, obviously you, you want to be safe. You want to be towards the edge of the road. Uh, the proper side of the road to run on, at least here in the States, is the left-hand side of the road. You want to be running against traffic. So you can see the cars are coming and in, in case you need to dive out of the way, you know, no cars are, are creeping up behind you. Uh, you can you can see them coming and the, the driver's not paying attention and they're veering off towards the shoulder. You can get out of the way. You want to be safe. Uh, that said, if you're always running on that left side of the road, you're always going to have the same, the same rotation, the same alterations to your gait and quite possibly causing you some, some problems on one side or the other, or maybe a problem in like your right leg and your left hip or something like that. Who knows? So how can you, how can you address that? How can you try to fix it? Well, the simple answer is maybe not always the safest answer, but hear me out on this one. Run on the wrong side of the road once in a while. Um, caveat to that. Obviously, if it's a busy road, probably not worth doing that. And by probably, I mean definitely not worth doing that. Safety is certainly always, always, always going to be your number one priority. So running on the left side of the road gives you your best chance to be safe. But if you find yourself in a situation where you're in some real quiet streets, where it's maybe a, a time of day, where there's not a lot of traffic. So for me, you know, just, just kind of the way I try to balance this equation. Cause I used to have some of these same problems, Michaela, we're running always on the, the left-hand side of the road, you know, kind of could tell that things were just off. Um, how I address that now is, you know, most of my runs happen between five and five thirty in the morning. I'm done by six 30. Uh, I'm running mostly except for my long runs, mostly in my neighborhood, 
which is a quiet neighborhood. Most people aren't awake at that hour. So I can run on whichever side of the road I want. So, uh, you know, sometimes I'll go down, you know, and there's a lot of kind of cul-de-sac type of out and back, or not really outs and backs, but, you know, half a mile down and there's the, the turnaround at the end of the neighborhood street there, come back to the main road type of situation. So I'll run, you know, down, some of them I'll run down the left side of the street and do around the turnaround and come back to the left side that way. Some of them I'll do the right side, down the right side of the street, do the turnaround, come back on the right side of the, that street again. So I'm, I'm always mixing it up, always making sure I'm on, on both sides of the road. Sometimes I'll run pretty much right right in the middle of the road, um, which is going to be the flattest part of the road to try to just keep things level. Um, again, I, I don't do that when it's a busier time of day. I don't do that when I'm on busy streets. But, you know, and even sometimes in my long runs, I can get away with that because I might be running in town. But again, if I'm running at four o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, there's less traffic. And the traffic that is out usually has headlights on. So it's easy for me to, to identify that a car is coming behind me, a car is coming toward me. And whenever that happens, of course, I'm getting out of the way, getting off to the side of the road, maybe jumping up on the sidewalk. There's another possible solution. If the area that you're running in has sidewalks, the sidewalks are usually flatter than the road. So try to run a little bit more on the sidewalks, uh, things of that nature. Um, you know, and if, if none of those options seem, seem like they work, uh, you know, you can check out getting like an inversion table, uh, going to the chiropractor, things like that, that yes, those cost a little bit of money, but if it can keep you, keep you right and keep you from really developing some type of serious, uh, more serious overuse injury, because you're constantly stressing one side of your body more than the other, because of the camber of the road might be worth it. So, uh, all that to say, yes, that can make a difference. And there are some ways to kind of work around it. Um, and hopefully you can find the right mix there, Michaela, that, that would work for you. Next question from Lindsay says, what is your favorite distance to race and why? Ha <laughs> ha Lindsay, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. I've answered this question a few times, uh, both on my show. And it seems like anytime I get, uh, interviewed on somebody else's podcast, that, that usually is a, is the, the first question that they ask me. I, and I know why I know why. Um, but, uh, I, I would have to say that I think my favorite distance to race is the marathon. I, th- I think that's pretty much always been my answer. Um, and I think it's becoming more of a favorite race now because I feel like I've finally, not that I, not that they're easy, but I finally started to get the hang of it. You know, um, there, there for a while, the marathon was, was tough. You know, I was, I have talked a lot about how mentally I struggle, uh, have struggled, still struggle some, uh, but starting to get some of that mental, mental side of things figured out a bit, or at least building up some, some mental strength and fortitude. So I'm able to, to feel like I'm able to run a complete marathon, um, which has definitely been rewarding. I still think that probably the half marathon is my best race distance as far as really pushing myself hard and really, um, running kind of at the closest to my maximum ability. Although I haven't really raced a half marathon in a while. I think it's been probably, I think it's closing in on five years uh, since I've really raced a hard half marathon. So maybe I need to do that one of these days too. Um, but uh, I, 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 I am pretty comfortable in saying that uh, the marathon is my favorite distance to race just because it's it's tough. It's a challenge. I feel like I'm really making some progress there. I, I certainly have some, some more room to go. Um, and, and I just feel like, like that is, it's, it's, um, the, the, it's a great reward for the, the effort, the training. Um, and I just, I just feel good about myself doing a good, hard 26.2. Um, but I mean, anything North of about a 10 K I, I enjoy, you, you start talking about a five K yeah not so much, but 10 K and, and beyond, um, I, I would, I would be able to find joy and, 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 uh, definitely, you know, 
no no issues with racing any of those uh, kind of medium to longer distance races. I, I'm I'm all in on on racing. That's that's a lot of fun times for sure. Uh, another question from Lindsay. Immediate follow up. Uh, how do you train for a hilly race using heart rate training? I live in the mountains, so there's no avoiding the hills. But to keep my heart rate low, I have to walk the hills. No problem there. But I worry I won't be ready enough for a hilly race. Thoughts. I also love to run trails, but again, my heart rate spikes hiking the steep stuff, and it's hard to bring it back down. Will running trails set me back in training by heart rate? Um, you know, the, the first part of that question, I, I think you, you kind of already have it figured out there, Lindsay, that, that yeah, you just have to walk. You, know, you just have to keep your heart rate in the window. Uh, but then the second part to that question, you know, are, are you going to be ready to actually run a race on the hills? Yes, more than, more than likely you will be. Um, because when you, when you're hiking, especially if you're kind of power hiking and, and, and working hard, not just kind of casually strolling up the hill, but really, really, you know, walking with purpose up those hills again, as long as it doesn't take your heart rate so high that it spikes, you know, past the, the limit that you have set. But if, if you're working on the hills and, and, and hiking your way up them, no doubt you're still working the same muscles. You're still activating your glutes, working all those posterior muscles, hamstrings, calves that really get fired up going up the hills. Um, and so when it, when it comes to race day, when all of a sudden heart rate isn't a factor, you know, when, when, uh, you're not worried about keeping your heart rate under a certain limit because it's race day and it's time to push yourself. Um, you'll, you'll have the muscles there. The, the body's going to know what to do. Um, and you're going to be able to, to really, you know, go up those, those hills without much of an issue. Is it going to be hard? Of course, but you, you're, you're, you're developing what you need to go up those hills by hiking up those hills. Uh, and the same thing for the trail, you know, same thing for, for trail running. Um, you know, you, you're, you're working your body harder on the trails. Uh, anybody who runs trails and, and roads knows this, uh, just the, the softer surface, the varied terrain, things like that. Uh, trail running is, is hard. It's harder on the body. Um, but those benefits will translate into, you know, the, the, the work you're doing will, will help you when you're running on quote unquote easier surfaces, when you're running on a flatter course, when you're running on the roads. Um, you know, the big thing with heart rate training is that as much as, as possible, um, you know, you're keeping your heart rate within the window or below the threshold that you have set. So if you're following kind of Maffetone style of, of thinking, which is really kind of where, where, where I go, um, you know, that's 180 minus your age. There's a couple different formulas that you can also, uh, even within the Maffetone thing, that's, that's the easy one, the simple, simplified version, but you can also bump that up or down a little bit, depending on if you're sick, how long you've been training injuries, yada, yada, yada. Um, but you know, just rule of thumb. So 180 minus your age, as long as you're staying below that number, most of the, you know, pretty much all the time, unless you're trying to do a hard workout, um, you're getting the benefit. Now, if, if you're out on, on a, a hike and you know, it's a big mountain that you're climbing up and your heart rate goes up, you know, it happens, it happens. And, and there's, there's some line of thought saying that, that if you do that, it really does kind of set you back. I'm not so much a, a believer in that, especially if you've been working at it and you've got some history with the heart rate training. Yes, it might slow down progress for a few days because you've worked harder than, than what that limit is. But the more consistent you are with your heart rate training, the more your body is able to bounce back and, and maybe not bounce back that day. You know, your, your heart rate hopefully will drop back down, maybe slow your pace a little bit, whatever, take a little bit of break. Um, but you know, the next day things will be back and you'll be, you'll be fine when you're back to normal training, if that makes sense. So don't worry too much about it. Um, but definitely just slow down, you know, when it comes to normal training runs, things like that. Um, and if you, if you creep above a little bit once in a while, you know, there's worse things that you can do. Um, so don't, don't, you know, I know I, I kind of talk about, about heart rate training from a, uh, no ifs, ands, or buts scenario. You, you, you need to stay below this limit. That's ideal. We don't necessarily live in an ideal world. So if there's a little bit of time when, when you're 
heart rate goes above it. You're not going to be undoing all the progress you made. I, I don't, don't overstress on that side of things because that's, you know, then it's just, you just kind of throw your hands up and say, well, the hell with it. I'm not going to do the heart rate training. And that's going to be worse for you than having a few times when it goes above because of where you live, because of the mountains, because of life stress, things like that. So do your best to stay underneath it. But if you go above once in a while, not the biggest deal. A little follow-up from Debbie says, um, during longer hillier runs, do I want to try to keep my heart rate the same or is it an average over the whole run? So um, again, kind of heart rate basics. And, and FYI, uh, I've had several people that, I mean, I get a lot of heart rate questions now, which is great. I I'm certainly don't still don't claim to be the, the all, all in expert on the topic, but I'm, I'm continuing to try to learn more. Um, and I'm probably going to put together now that the little things course is almost complete. Once the little things course is uh, complete, we're, we're right there. Uh, hopefully by the end of uh, this week we should have an announcement on that. Um, but I'm going to try to put together something for heart rate training. For those of you that are interested, most likely it'll also be free, just like the little things course, uh, but something that, that answers some of those questions and really gives you some, some, you know, simple steps here, you know, do this, don't do that type of thing, uh, shows the science, all that kind of good stuff. And Debbie, this is one of those questions that I think will certainly be addressed in that, in that course, but I'm not going to make you wait for it. Of course, um, you, you want to keep your heart rate from not going over your maximum. So again, if we're talking 180 minus age, just for, for sake of reference, I know, I know Trevor, you, you like to, to use the more the, the formulaic one, which actually those numbers tend to work out pretty darn close to the same anyway, but whatever formula you're using to determine max heart rate or zones you want to stay in and, and avoid or whatever it might be, um, the benefits pretty much seem to, uh, get turned off or at least the, the aerobic uh, fitness benefits. So that's what we're trying to build with heart rate training is build your aerobic engine to make sure you make, make you more efficient to, to help you get more, uh, more fitness with less exertion. So that on race day, when you're exerting more, you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're light years ahead. You know, you're getting two for one instead of one for one type of thing. Um, a lot of those, those improvements to the aerobic system stop if you go above your aerobic maximum for very long. So, you know, if, if you, if you have your, your watch set and your alerts and it, it buzzes when you go above whatever your heart rate number might be, and you immediately start walking and that heart rate drops down, you're probably okay. But if you, if you kind of ride, you know, 10 beats or five beats above your heart rate limit, or your, your aerobic maximum limit, which is what i say when I say heart rate limit, I don't mean your maximum heart rate. I mean, your maximum aerobic heart rate. Um, if you, if you ride above that for, for very long, even just a handful of beats, your body kind of shifts over to anaerobic energy production mode. Um, and even if your heart rate drops back down, it's still kind of in that mode. So you're not getting the, the maximum aerobic benefits that we're searching for. So it's not your average over the whole run that we want to keep in mind. It's your current heart rate, which is why if you, if you notice, um, if you follow me on Instagram and you notice my, my accountability posts in my stories just about every day when I'm posting my heart rate numbers, my, my average, I always post average heart rate because I just can't post, you know, every seconds heart rate, you know, through the whole thing, but it's usually way low. It's usually somewhere in the one, one teens to one twenties, but there's plenty of times during that run that my heart rate's in the one thirties, but I try to keep it below 141. So when I get up to 141, if you notice my, my Garmin data, you'll see me stop to walk probably cause my heart rate got to 141. Um, or cause the dog needed to go to the bathroom. I had to stop for that. But you know, those are kind of the two reasons, but definitely when you're, when you're tracking your heart rate, you want to stay below that number the whole time. If heart rate training is your goal. Um, it's not just the overall average. Okay. I hope, I hope that makes sense. I don't know that I'd always do the greatest job of explaining it because again, I'm not uh, the, the wholesale expert here. I'm, I'm learning though still. And, and hopefully every time I learn more and I get more of these questions, I'm able to explain it a bit more clearly. So hopefully that makes sense uh, on the heart rate front, Lindsay and Debbie. 
Next question comes from Aaron. If I do all of my training in a hilly area, will that hurt me on a flat course for a marathon? Absolutely not. Um, training on, on, you know, hills running on a, on a hilly area. Um, you're going to be activating the glutes, firing up the, the posterior chain, which for a lot of us, we, uh, could use some more activation back there. So, um, you know, when you get into a flat surface, a flat course, um, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be like, wow, this is, this is easy. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely going to help you nothing to worry about there. Um, and I would also say that in most cases, especially for a marathon, very few marathons, even the ones that say that they're pancake flat, and I've run a few of them, you know, Prairie Fire Marathon being one, the uh, uh, Gulf, uh, Big Beach Marathon in Gulf Shores, Alabama being another one, the two that I've run in the last six months that both advertise themselves as pancake flat. And for the most part, they're pretty darn flat, but there's still a few, a few times in every race I've ever run that says that it's flat that there's still some, some uphills. There's still a little bit of climbing, you know, whether it's a, 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 you know, a walkway overpass of a busy road, which is what they had at big beach towards the end. There's this, there's this, you know, pretty in the grand scheme of things, nothing serious, but at, at mile 25 to have to climb up over this, this, you know, from, from being at road level to being at a, a, a walkway pedestrian bridge that goes over a major road. It was a, it was a decent little climb, you know, at, at Prairie fire, there are a few kind of, you know, I wouldn't really call them rolling Hills, but if you set a ball down, it's rolling back towards you. You know, there, there was definitely some, some subtle little inclines here and there. So if you run a, a really flat course, Aaron, and you've been training on the Hills, not only are you going to feel stronger in those, those flats, but those few little areas, those little small little, you know, blips where it might only be 30 or 50 feet of a climb, which isn't that much. You're going to just power up those. Like it's no big deal. Cause you're so used to the Hills anyway. So versus somebody else who's like, all right, yes, this is going to be flat the whole way. And then, oh my gosh, what are we getting? What is this? What is this Hill? You're going to, you're going to eat it up, spit it out. No big deal. So keep training on the Hills, my friend. Um, and you will be just fine on a flat marathon course. Uh, another question from Michaela, how do you run Hills when you have none around? So, uh, if you live somewhere flat, how do you train on the Hills? Well, it takes a little bit of creativity. Um, and in most, most cases, and, and obviously there's going to be some, there's going to be some of you that are like, Nope, that none of those things apply to me. Okay. I get it. But in most cases, if there's not any natural hills around, there's probably some man-made hills around. So what am I talking about? Like I said, it could be a, a bridge, an overpass, a pedestrian something, uh, any type of, of man-made structure that goes up and over a road or a river or a train tracks or anything like that. You can get some hills there. It might not be as, as enjoyable as heading out to the mountains somewhere or, or somewhere that's, that's got some big rolling hills in the countryside. But if you want to get some hill training in, you can do it there. You can also head to a parking garage. If, you're, if your city or town or municipality has some type of parking garage or, or basement parking where you can run down and run back up, you know, you, you can utilize those ramps there. Um, you know, you could, you could utilize a handicap, wrap, handicap ramp somewhere, easy for me to say, um, and kind of create some hills there. You're going to have to run like a thousand repeats on them. I get it. But if you want to do some hill training, you have those options. Maybe there's a boat ramp or a boat launch somewhere. If you live by the coast, oh, well, you know, we're right by the coastal areas. There's, there's no hills here. Well, is there a spot where you can, where there's that little drop down for the boats to launch? Again, it's not much. It might only be 50 feet, but it's something. It's something. It's better than nothing. Um, of course, you can also, you know, head to the gym, get on the treadmill, ramp up the uh, the incline there. Um, I'm certainly not, uh, 
going to push anybody in that direction. I'm, I'm going to say to try to find some some uh, man-made hills somewhere else. Um, but that's always an option. And then last but not least, one thing that I've you know I, I complain. I don't complain. Do I? Do I complain? Um, I, I've mentioned maybe a few times that training here in Florida, things are pretty flat, and they are. They are. But I've definitely found that there are there are a decent number of hills in the greater Lakeland area that I that I've run to from downtown or things like that several times um, where there's some hills. Now, are they are, are they going to be confused with with big hills uh, in Appalachia or out west or or things like that? No, not of, of course not. But some of these hills. They're, they're, they're sneaky difficult and I would have never noticed it. And I never did notice those same Hills before I started running, driving those same streets. Yeah. You know, yeah, I guess there's a little bit of a Hill there, but no, no big deal. Right. Running them completely different. So maybe if you kind of get off of your normal route and go exploring some other places where you might run in town, um, you might find that there's, you know, not huge climbs, not, not something that's going to win you any challenges on Strava or going to make anybody go, Oh wow. Like look at that hill that you, that you climbed. Um, but you might just find that there's some, that there's some hills, there's some, there's some incline, there's some, some pseudo elevation that you have to deal with at different parts of town. So, so, you know, you might just be able to surprise yourself at how many, uh, hills are actually around that you're just kind of not aware of because in a car, they don't feel like much. They don't seem like much, but at the end of a six miler, at the end of an eight, 10, 12 miler, some of those not much Hills. Yeah. They're kind of much, they're kind of much. So hopefully you can find some Michaela, whether they're man-made natural or whether you had to head to somewhere with a treadmill and, and make them your own, um, to get a few Hills. Cause there's definitely benefits to training on the Hills. No, no question about that. Um, Lots of hill questions today. Here, here. Actually, this isn't another one. There's, there's a couple more coming as well. Um, next one, next question from Barb. As you get deeper into heart rate training, is it more beneficial to lower your heart rate on easy runs or try to pick up the pace with your normal baseline heart rate? So I think I understand this question, Barb, but if, I, if I'm getting it wrong for you, reach back out after, uh, after you hear this and let me know. But um, you know, when, when, when I first got into heart rate training, it was kind of a struggle to keep my, my number below my 141. You know, it, it would be in the high 130s. It would spike over 140. I'd have to stop to walk and get it back down. And as soon as I started running again, it was climbing back up. It was difficult. But now that I've, I've been in it now for whatever it's been, gosh, 16, 18 months at this point, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it can, I can hold pretty steady. Uh, you know, which just my, my body's adapted. My body's gotten used to it. I've gotten more efficient. My aerobic fitness has improved. Um, so I, I think that this, you know, kind of leading into, into Barb's question, I think what she's asking is, you know, once you get to that point with where I am now, is it more beneficial to just kind of keep going at a, at a pretty comfortable pace? And even though at that same type of pace, my heart rate used to be maybe in the high one twenties, low one thirties. Now it's in the one teens. Is that more beneficial than now picking up the pace so that my heart rate is going back into the, the high, you know, mid to high one thirties and holding it there, which is still below my maximum aerobic heart rate of one forty one. But you know it's not uh, not quite as comfortable, even though it's faster, still below that that level. Um, honestly, six to one half dozen of the other. You know you can you can find some heart rate experts that say that you know pushing up towards that 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 limit, but not going past it, is what's going to give you the, the biggest bang for your buck. You can find some that say, hey, as long as you're training, as long as you know not just at a casual walk pace, but as long as you're working a little bit, you've got an elevated heart rate, um, even if it's not right near that that maximum aerobic level, you're still going to get some benefit. Um, so I, I, I don't stress too much, uh, about it. I, I say, you know what? Some days my runs tend to be one, one ten, um, heart rate. 
some days I kind of pick it up a little bit. I'm in the the high 120s into the 130s. Um, I don't worry about it. I kind of just, you know, kind of how am I feeling? How are my legs feeling? Focus on my breathing. As long as my heart rate doesn't spike over, you know, I just kind of let the chips fall where they may. Um, definitely see an improvement. Uh, definitely getting faster, which is certainly one of my goals. Um, and I think I'm probably leaning a bit towards trying to push a little bit more on those runs to keep my heart rate up into the, the, you know, at least into the mid one thirties for most of the runs and see what that does to my pace. But you don't have to, you don't have to, you're going to get benefit either way. You're either way, you know, as long as you're, you're working a little bit, um, you're still working and improving your aerobic fitness, which is the goal, which is absolutely the goal. And is going to lead to, you know, improvements and pace and, and, uh, whatnot and endurance on race day, which is, which is again, what we're working towards. So a uh, great question, Barb. Uh, and I hope that that makes sense. And I hope that, that is answering the question that you're actually, actually asking. Like I said, um, next question comes from a man, John in, uh, in Fargo it says, how many tacos are too many tacos? Um, I'm not the biggest taco fan, but I don't understand the question. I, I don't, as far as I can tell, there's no such thing as too many tacos. So Saddle up, saddle up, big big fella. Uh, pull up to the uh, the old taco truck and do do your best. Uh, and uh, don't worry, don't 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 worry about getting to too many because I don't think you're gonna get there. Quick sip for coffee. It's gotta gotta keep the energy up, right? And then quick break for uh, talking about exoskin once again. Um, you know, one thing that. Uh, I don't know that I've always mentioned as well, especially in the, the first few times I talked about exoskin is how great the gear is, you know, in the cold weather. And now that we're getting, you know, now that spring is officially here and, uh, the, the warmth is, uh, is hopefully going to be upon most of you soon. Uh, I know some places are still struggling with, uh, some freezing temperatures and things like that, but, but, uh, you know, spring is coming. And, you know, when, when you start to get into that situation where you're starting to sweat and, you know, I think we've all been there where you got, you got some, some gear that, that seems like it's probably pretty good or, you know, the, the ads say it's going to be pretty good. You get sweating out, out on a run or workout, whatever. And all of a sudden that, that chafe starts and it's, Oh, Nelly, uh, this is not going to be good. The shower is not going to be fun afterwards. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, um, one of the things about exoskin, A, it breathes incredibly well. So it, it is, you know, it, it is as sweat, sweat wicking as it comes. But another thing that really helps with uh, reducing the, the amount of chafe and friction when you're wearing, whether it's your, whether it's on, on your feet for the socks, whether it's on top for the shirts. Um, I haven't used the, the shorts, compression shorts or compression tights or anything like that yet, but I'm assuming it's the same thing there as well, um, is that exoskin products are, have way fewer seams than, uh, than most other gear. I, I kind of have jokingly looked at it. Like, I don't know how they make socks. How do, how do they make shirts without seams? Well, there's like a seam, you know, there's like a seam around the, the armholes. Uh, there's just like a seam around the neck and then like, that's it. There's no seams along the, the, the body anywhere. And like every other shirt I have, uh, has seams there. So it's easy for those seams to start rubbing, but either on your arms when you're running or just, you know, your arms brushing the shirt. So now that those seams are rubbing against your body and with exercise, gear, whether it's the tight fit, loose fit, whatever, those seams don't exist. Um, which is, you know, not only is it sweat wicking, not only is it less likely to rub against you because it gets so bogged down with your sweat, but there's also no, no seams to rub on your body as well. So, um, the odds of chafing, I don't think they're completely zero. I don't think that, that, uh, I, I don't think that I'm comfortable saying that, that you will not get a blister at all. You will not have any chafing at all. Uh, if you get some exoskin socks or exoskin shorts or exoskin shirts, but I will say that your odds of chafing dramatically reduced, dramatically reduced, which makes that shower after the run a bit more pleasant. You know, been there, been there, done that. I can definitely attest to that. So if you want to check out, uh, you know, if, if you're worried about, uh, you know, some chafing, you want to up your gear a bit so you don't have to worry about chafing and blisters and things like that, or at least 
less likely that you're going to have to worry about those things, definitely check out Exoskin. It's really good gear. It doesn't stink, which is one of, one of my favorite things. I think, I think, not sure, but I think I'm on about 15 runs in a row with my socks right now. Um, probably going to throw them in the wash one of these days. But, you know, if not, whatever. And, and, and it's not like I keep the socks hidden somewhere so Rebecca can't smell them. Like, they're, they're, in, the, they're in the kitchen right where my running shoes are. My running shoes smell worse than my socks do. Um, I think that's probably natural anyway. But anyway, I'm getting off track. Exoskin, great gear. Doesn't stink. Doesn't chafe. Absorbs your sweat. Keeps you warm if you happen to get a random cold day as well. Um, all around, pretty much the only, the only outer gear that you'll need. Unless it gets really cold, then you might need a jacket as well. But whatever. Exoskin.us is the website. Don't forget, Diz Runs at checkout saves you 20%. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a decent little chunk of change especially for some really quality gear. So check it out, exoskin.us. Thank you for supporting the sponsors who support the show. Next question comes from Nicole. What kind of weight training should I do for a 50K? Nicole, when it comes to weight training, the distance of race that you're doing, in my opinion, really doesn't matter. As runners, we all benefit from strength training, and and there's not a huge dramatic difference of what I would say you should do for a 50K uh, or beyond versus what somebody who's training for a 10K or a half marathon should do. Uh, even 5K is not, not dramatically different. So if you go back just a couple episodes, I believe it was episode 702, um, no, 703, the last, the, the last quick tip before this one, I uh, did, did kind of volume one of the, the FAQs for uh, strength training. And talked about that a little bit in there. So doing, you know, doing some whole body, making sure you're getting your core, working your legs, working your glutes, your hips, a um, couple times a week, 10 to 20 minutes each time. That'll cover your bases. Uh, and there's some there's some examples in in there as well as far as some some old videos, old timey videos that I've shot uh, that probably need to be redone. But whatever, I'll, the, the information is good even if I look ridiculous in them. So I'll, I'll put them out there. You can get some laughs and learn a little bit. Um, but check it out. Those in the show notes, disruns.com slash seven zero. What did I say? Seven zero three, um, for that information. But it, I mean, don't overthink it. You, you're not lifting like a bodybuilder, but you definitely want to be lifting. You definitely want to be doing some strength training, whether it's at home, whether it's at the gym, body weight, using some weights, uh, doing something like orange theory or CrossFit, all of those things can work. Uh, and, and it's just kind of what, what do you want? What, what do you enjoy doing? Um, what do you feel comfortable doing? But do something. Don't just think, oh, I'm doing ultra, so I don't need to strength training. No, you do. You need to work that core. You need to work those glutes. You need to work those legs. Um, you need to work your upper body. You know, we, we always forget about how important upper body is, which is part of the reason why I, I've made the uh, the pull-up uh, requirement for my coffee, my refills of coffee. I got to do pull-ups to get, get coffee at my house these days so that I'm working my back because arm swing. Every step you take, your arms are swinging too. So it's kind of important to have some strength and stability in your upper back uh, to help you maintain form, especially at the end of a longer race, like a, a marathon, like an ultra. Um, and especially Nicole, you know, if you're depending on what race you're doing, you know, a lot of ultra runners and I'm, I'm in this boat now too. wear a pack, you know, wear, wear a, a regular pack. I shoot, I wear mine when I'm training anything over about 10 miles. I usually have my, my pack on, uh, my, my orange mud pack. So, you know, if you've got a, a, a orange mod ultimate direction, whatever it is, you're carrying a pack. Um, you know, again, that's going to be something that can shift your, your center balance a little bit can change your form. A good, strong, stable core and upper back are going to be beneficial to help you maintain good form throughout the, the duration of your run, whether it's 10 miles, 15, 20, 30, 50, whatever it is. So uh, whole body, don't forget the upper body, um, you know, a couple times a week, 10, 20 minutes each time, you'll be good to go. More more information to come in future quick tips, uh, but for the, the most recent one, head back to episode 703 
and get some information there as well, Nicole. It's just basically the same things I just said, but you know, just said with more words. <laughs> uh, next question coming from another one from Michaela says, uh, what is the benefit of following a training plan? I start with a plan and then the plan goes out the window and I do what feels good. Still make sure to get my long run in, but no real plan. Is that bad? Well, is it, is it bad? So you're, you're asking the coach this question. And I suppose that, that the, the knee jerk reaction is yes, you should have a plan and you should hire me to do it. But I, I don't really work that way. Um, is it, is it beneficial to have a training plan? I believe so. I definitely believe, so. I mean, shoot, that's what the book is about, right? That's why I wrote, be ready on race days to help you create a good plan. Um, what I, what I hear from your question, Michaela, and where, where I think that you've, uh, have some room to improve with your plan is that, like you said, you start with a plan, you're following it, life happens. And then, you know, the plan doesn't work anymore. Well, that's where the plan needs to be adjusted, amended. Why is it good to have a plan? Well, having a plan helps you obviously helps you have some guidelines, some, some room to kind of know which way you're going, keep you on track. It helps keep you accountable and that, you know, Oh, I don't really feel like doing something today, but I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, the plan says I should. So can you wiggle out of that? Of course you can adjust. There's nothing wrong with that, but kind of on those days when it's just like, ah, I just don't really want to, well, if you have a plan, you're like, all right, well, I guess I probably should. Um, and it eliminates that kind of that question of what am I, what am I going to do today? You know, what, what should I do today? I don't know. Should I, should I run long? Should I run short? Should I run easy? Should I do a hard workout? Um, you know, it, it just kind of takes some of that, that guesswork out of it and just say, all right, this is what the plan says. This is what my coach says. This is what I determined in advance when I was writing my own plan. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, you know, and, and kind of as a, as a metaphor, which not speaking of metaphors, not, not always my favorite thing, but, uh, something I feel like, uh, the, the longer I'm in the running game, the more, the more the metaphors tend to come. Um, but you know, kind of going back to, um, or kind of answering this question from a different way, using a metaphor, like I said, um, you know, what's the difference between having like a page from a coloring book where you have an outline of, of a picture to color versus having a blank page with both of them. You can, you can create a beautiful piece of art. You can create a beautiful drawing. All right. You can create the, pretty much the same drawing. You could, you could draw the same picture as what's in the coloring book and color that. And it would be just as good. Just like you can have a plan to follow or you can have no plan and still, still get to the end result, still be prepared for race day. But which is easier. I know for me, I can be, I, I, I have a much easier time being creative within the boundaries of having a picture to color, to have that coloring book page of like, all right, well, I want to maybe play with this color and, and, and shade it a little bit different here and things like that. Versus if I'm starting with just a blank piece of paper, a plain white piece of piece of paper, and I want to draw something, it's like, I don't, I, I have so many options. I don't know what to do. Which color should I do? What's, what's the de- definition of the, you know, of, of, you know, of, of the picture? What am I actually even trying to draw, you know? Versus having that, that, that boundary, that framework in which to color and which to experiment, which to, to mess with some different colors and, and which to sometimes color outside the line a little bit and make it, make it a little bit your own, but you still have that framework to follow. And I feel like that's what a training plan does. It makes it easier to get to the end result. It makes it easier to, to stay on track and to get to where you ultimately want to go versus when you have no definition, no boundary, it's just kind of, it can become willy nilly. So uh, I think having a good plan is very beneficial. And, and like I said, I think that, that your plan where, where you're, maybe you've gone wrong in the past, Michaela, is that you, your plan hasn't adapted and evolved with you as you go, which is why, um, again, I'm going to plug my book e- even more here, but in be ready on race day. One of the, one of the suggestions I make is to only write about two weeks of your plan at a time. So you have this week's plan already in place. You write next week's kind of schedule based on, you kind of more often than not predict what's going to happen next week. You know, you may not be able to predict the kids getting sick or school getting canceled, things like that. 
But you know if you have appointments, you know if you have uh, work schedule changes, things like that, what's going to happen next week. So you can make your plan fit into your life the next week. And then if you still need to adjust, you can adjust a little bit. But instead of having a, a 14, 16, 18-week plan already written out and then something crazy happens in, in week four, and now the whole rest of it is you're kind of SOL because you got 12 weeks of plan that need to be rewritten. And I don't know how to, you know, just write one or two weeks at a time. Makes it easier to, to follow the plan makes the plan easier to adapt to whatever's going on in your life, which, you know, it's kind of that, that now it's snowball in the right way. It's easier to, to follow because it's adapting to your life, which makes it easier to follow, which makes it adapt more to your life. So, um, having a plan is good. Having a plan helps. It keeps you more on track, keeps you moving in the right direction. Um, and, and I think that's why, that's why I would recommend whether it's something that somebody does for you, something you do yourself, have a plan, have a plan. Next two questions, both from Tom. Uh, first one, how does hill training help a person versus speed or interval training, something like that? So um, on one hand, they're, they're really kind of all one and the same. So, you know, at least from, from my perspective, being a heart rate training guy, anything that is legitimately hard, running up and down hills, doing hard speed repeats, doing, you know, some type of, of you know, fartlek intervals or a tempo run, all of those things are hard workouts. They all work me well beyond my aerobic maximum. So I get some of those benefits of, you know, increased strength, increased um, um, explosiveness, you know, increased muscle density, uh, increased, uh, you know, just a lot of physiological benefits from the muscles, tendons, bones, uh, things like that from running hard that I certainly don't get when I'm running, in, you know, below my heart rate maximum. So, you know, the, it really doesn't matter so much what the, what the flavor is, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to pull a, a terrible, like ice cream metaphor of like, you know, the, sometimes you like, you like chocolate a little better. Sometimes you like uh, mint chocolate chip a little bit better, but at the end of the day, they're all ice cream. But at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you like doing quarter mile repeats a little bit better. Sometimes you like doing hill repeats a bit better. Sometimes you like a tempo run on a hilly rolling Hills course a bit better. But at the end of the day, they're all, they're all high intensity work. They all, they all improve you, uh, muscular bone, uh, connective tissue. They, they all have those, those benefits for you. Um, but you know, but they also already have their, their things that are a little bit different. You know, sometimes you like to chew on the, on the, the chocolate chip. Sometimes you like something that's pretty smooth, you know, just, just the plain, plain chocolate. Sometimes you like little chunks of uh, Oreo cookie for cookies and cream, whatever the case might be. So sometimes, you know, so when it comes to the, the training side of things, hill training, like I said earlier to, I think to Lindsay's question, um, you know, really activates the glutes, fires up the glutes, the hamstrings, the entire posterior chain. Um, so, so that's, that's going to do that a bit more focused than the the average you know 400 meter repeats at the track where you're probably gonna where a lot of us at least are gonna be more um, hip flexor quad engaged which is not exactly what we want to do but kind of what ends up happening um, you know so so that's one way that it's a bit different um, you know they're all gonna help improve our form they're all gonna help improve again like like uh, you know like I said bone density bone strength connective tissue um, I like it kind of to mix it up just for variety just to keep things from getting boring. Um, but it's not, I wouldn't say that it's a huge thing, one or the other, that like, oh my God, hill training is the best thing ever, way better than speed. No, it's different, but good, uh, if that makes sense. One thing that I would stress on hill training for you, Tom, and for anybody else, don't just get stuck in the idea, which so many people do, that hill training or hill repeats means run hard up the hill and walk back down or jog back down. Um, yes, that's one way of doing hill training, but I see so many people in hillier races 
are kind of afraid to run downhill or, you know, I hear people talk about how, oh man, a downhill course, it just beats up your quads. That's because you haven't practiced running downhill. Um, if, if you are comfortable running downhill, if you've practiced it, if you're, if you're comfortable with, with how to do it, in my experience, you can pretty much float down a hill going stupid fast. Um, and it doesn't beat you up at all. It doesn't beat you up. Har- maybe, maybe a little bit, but hardly, hardly at all. Um, but it all just comes down to, are you comfortable running downhill? If you're fighting it, if you're leaning back, kind of fighting gravity, yeah, it's going to beat, it's going to beat you up big time. Um, but if you're comfortable, if you're willing to lean in and risk going asses over elbows down the hill, your legs will keep up. You're not going to pound and you're going to feel pretty good and you're going to fly down those hills. So that's one thing I think that hill training does as well is help. If you do it right, if you're doing some of those tempo runs on the rolling hills or whatever, really attacking some downhills, you can learn how to run fast going downhill without working very hard. So that can be a recovery. You can be running six minute pace. and feel like you're walking because you're going down a hill. So, um, doing that is I think beneficial on race day as well, because when you, when you run downhill on a race day, I've seen so many people, Oh, slow way down going down the hill, man, that's, that's the time to go. So practice it, practice it, practice it. Uh, next question from Tom. I've, I ran two different 5k races this past weekend and I felt more soreness than I usually feel after a single 10k race. Do you have any suggestions for folks who want to run multiple races on one day? Uh, the tongue in cheek answer, Tom is just don't do that. <laughs> don't run two races on the same day. No, but, uh, I, 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 I totally it from a physiological standpoint, totally makes sense that running two 5k's are going to hurt longer than a 10k one, because both of those 5k's are probably at a higher intensity than any one 10k. Cause you're not, you know, you're, you're pushing yourself for a shorter amount of time. So you're able to push harder in each of those races. Um, and depending on what goes on between the races, my, my recommendation is to not really stop between the two races. So if, if they're hopefully two races that are fairly close together, keep walking, easy jogging, doing some light kind of stretching, mobility works, a few lunges, squats, leg swings, things like that. Keep the muscles warm. Keep them, keep them from kind of switching off into repair mode. Cause if you run a good hard 5k that hurts, you're going to be, you, you know, as soon as you finish your body goes into repair mode and it starts to try to re- repair those muscle tissues. Now, if you come back six hours later, you got to run another 5k, your body's in repair mode process. And now all of a sudden, like you're back to work again and, and it doesn't respond real well. You got to make sure to do a, a much better warm up, things like that. Um, versus if those races are close together, you can kind of just keep things, keep things moving, obviously not at the same intensity, but keep it moving, keep it warm. Your body's not going into repair mode process. And now you can just roll right into the next race. Hopefully feel pretty good. That said, you run two races on the same day and you push yourself in both of them. You're going to be sore. You're going to, I mean, you, you're going to be, you run one race. You're probably going to be sore, but at least you, you get it that one and done. And the repair mode st- repair process starts. You get the repair process started. Now you run hard again. You're undoing some of that repair work, more muscular tissue damage, um, more, more pain and soreness. So, um, you know, I think that's part of the reason those challenges exist is because they're a challenge because they're, they're tough because they hurt a little bit. Um, so if you're going to do that, either just run, run them easy and not really race them hard, in which case you're probably not going to be too sore. Um, or if you're going to, if you're going to turn it on, just, to, just, you know, it's, it's part of the, part of uh, what you get when you sign up to really race hard two races on the same days, you're going to be sore the next day, probably sore for a couple days. Um, but that's, you know, wear that with a badge of honor, I think Tom, but, uh, hopefully that all makes sense. Um, but yeah, two races on the same day, you're going to be hurting a bit the next day. That's just, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, for sure. 
Next question comes from Maricela. Uh, says, if traveling for a race, how do you manage the costs? Especially if you have small children, does everyone go? Do you race and travel solo to save funds? How do you do it? Well, I think that that's one of those questions that, that is different for every person. Or the answer is different for every person. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt, no question that a racecation, a destination race, like those, those costs add up. And usually the, the cost of the race itself, the race registration is like the lowest, the lowest cost item, uh, between travel and lodging and, and, uh, um, food and, and just, you know, souvenirs, all those kinds of things that, that you don't necessarily think up when you're like, Oh, I can get a discount on this race. If I sign up today, or, or I got a, a free treat, you know, I'm, I'm an ambassador for the race so I can go run it. And it doesn't, I don't have to spend that $80 for the race. Well, never mind. You're spending a thousand dollars for everything else, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it adds up. And if you have kids, that's, that's a whole nother part of the equation as well. Are they coming as well? Now there's another plane ticket. Um, are they staying home? That's, that's figuring out logistics with a babysitter, with, with your partner, um, with grandparents, whatever, whatever the case might be. So yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's not any one right way to answer that. Um, that said a couple of resources, if you remember back to, uh, I think it's been about a year. I think these episodes should still be in most, uh, podca- podcast feeds. If you scroll back down, starting with episode 577 and moving its way up through 589. That's, that's five quick tip episodes in a row. So every third episode from 577 to 589, uh, I interviewed Tom Letty and Carolyn Valls, uh, who are co-authors of the book, the ultimate travel guide for runners. Tom's run a bunch of races all over the country, all over the world. Uh, and so he's sharing his tips and Carolyn's a, a travel agent that specializes with working with runners and, and setting up situations for destination races. And so they shared a lot of great tips, obviously not nearly as many as what's in the book. So you can check out the book. Like I said, once again, the, the title ultimate travel guide for runners, there's a link in the show notes today, disruns.com slash seven zero five. You can go back and listen to those, those episodes, those five episodes. We talked about things, check out the book. Um, you know, a couple of takeaways, you know, kind of shop early shop around. Uh, Tom had a great tip about you know, looking for airline flights and making sure to clear the cookies, clear the cash out of your browser, because uh, you know most of the the websites, whether it's the the you know the orbits and Travelocity, whether it's the Southwest.com, whatever, they they put like a cookie in your history, so they know that you came and that you left, and now you've come back. So the prices tend to go up that second time. So clear the clear the 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 cash, clear the cookies, and you'll most likely see better prices than if you'd gone back without doing that. Uh, kind of a little ninja tip there. Um, and working with a travel agent may not be a bad choice either. Uh, I've I've kind of always thought that I'd get the best prices by working with myself, um, and not having to pay a travel agent's fee. But Caroline was telling me, uh, in the, in those episodes that actually these days, uh, that's not how it works. Maybe that's how it worked 25 years ago, but these days you don't, you, we don't pay the travel agent. The travel agents get the commission from the airlines, from the hotels, things like that. And a lot of times they're privy to special deals that we can't get on our own. So it might be worth placing a call, contacting Carolyn. Um, and seeing if that doesn't help you cut back on the cost a little bit as well, Maricela. But, uh, but yeah, traveling is, is a, is a cost. Um, you know, one of the, the, the plans and goals that, uh, that I have with my 50 state marathon quest is to bring Rebecca with me to all of the States. And right now I think we're not quite at 50, 50. Uh, I think I've done about, uh, I think I've done five races where I've gone to the state by myself and four races where I've gone with her. Maybe it's six and three or something like that. Um, so we got, we got some work to do on that front and, and got to figure it out. But right now with where we are, you know, travel and work and things like that. It doesn't always work for us to go together. Um, hopefully that will change. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to get back to maybe some of those States that she wasn't able to join me at and, uh, we can still get there together. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of got to do what you got to do. 
and and I don't think there's any one right answer, and, and I don't think it has to be universal for your situation either. You could do some races solo, do some races as part of a vacation, um, if traveling is something that you want to do more of and tying that into your running. So hopefully all that makes sense, Marisol, and definitely would, again, encourage you to check out uh, the Ultimate Travel Guide for Runners. There's a link on the show notes uh, in the episodes with, with Tom and Caroline. Uh, 577 through 589, those five quick tip episodes in that window, uh, will help, help you figure out some ways to save some money, uh, as well. Next batch of questions comes from Ms. Melody, uh, says making up for not, uh, giving us any questions last month. So I guess, uh, I guess we got, uh, I think six in a row from Melody here. Uh, first one, why and when do people wear compression socks? I could Google this, but I like hearing you talk. Good thing you like hearing me talk. Cause we're going to be up over, uh, up over 60 minutes for this one, probably pushing 75 minutes by the time it's all said and done. Although I can finally see the end of the question list. So we are, we are getting there, uh, slowly, but surely, but when and why do people wear compression socks? Compression socks are great for recovery. Um, when it comes to a performance benefit on race day, yeah, there's not much there. There could be some, uh, you know, kind of placebo effect in the mind, but the, the, the evidence, the science is pretty clear that, that there's really no benefit of wearing compression gear on race day as far as the performance benefit goes. But when it comes to recovery, they help with venous return, which means helping to get the blood out of the calves, out of your feet, back to your heart to reoxygenate it and get it going back around your body with, with fresh oxygen rich blood, which is what our bodies use to do all the repair work and to recover after a good hard run or race. So wearing compression gear after a run, fabulous. Wearing it during a run, there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't help you though either. The only possible exception to that is I will be guilty of wearing like a compression sleeve or a compression sock if I have a little twinge in my calf, um, which I've had from time to time. Y'all are aware of that. Um, when I start to kind of come back to running after after taking a few days off or a few weeks, whatever is necessary, I usually wear the compression sleeve on, just on the one side just to give the, the muscle a little bit more protection. It's not like it's a, it doesn't make a huge difference, but it just, it just helps just a little bit to keep things safe, keep things from re aggravating as long as I'm keeping my run nice and easy. So there, there, that's the only kind of, there's, there's a little bit of a muscle protection factor of wearing compression, uh, during a run, but as far as performance, none. So, you know, the vast majority of people that you see at a race that have compression sleeves or compression socks on or compression sleeves on their, on their calves, um, they're doing it because they got they, they bought into the marketing that that's going to help them run better. Or you know if they're wearing it because it, it matches their outfit, looks good. Hey, more power to you. But from a performance benefit, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't give you more endurance. Doesn't reduce you to re- fatigue. It doesn't do any of that stuff. Um, it may do that in your head, in which case I'm, I'm a fan of the placebo effect. It may, it may more power to you. But physiologically, eh, not much. After the fact, great benefits. Great benefits. Um, two. What are the pros and cons of zero drop shoes? So um, you know as as human beings. We are, we are naturally zero drop. If you're barefoot, you're zero drop. Um, if you wear, you know, shoes that have a drop that have, you know, that aren't the same difference in height between your forefoot and your, uh, heel, you know, it's kind of like you're running in in high heels. Now, obviously not quite the same as like a stiletto. Um, but, but you're running in a, in a heel, you know, high heel position, not getting as much flex and, and stretch in your calf when you run, um, which can be a, a slight performance reduction. So being zero drop, it's more natural. It's more biomechanically, uh, what, what we as a species, uh, were evolved or were created to do how we were created to, or evolved to run. Um, that said, I'm not going to put all of my eggs into that basket right there as far as why it's, it's beneficial, but I'm going to say that from a cons perspective, wearing, um, you know, wearing a heel, wearing a, a heel drop shoe it definitely can change your, your biomechanics it can change how you run. Uh, it be, can lead you to be more likely to heel strike, which can cause some, some problems. Um, and not heel strike if you land underneath your foot, but if you listen to the, the last episode 
with Mike Swinger. We talked about cadence and we talked about heel striking a bit and landing with your foot out in front of you. That's the problem. You know, you don't want to land with your foot out in front of you. Land it with your foot underneath your 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 body, underneath your center of mass, um, and and how that's beneficial. But you know, if you have a thick cushioned heel, you're more likely to land with your heel out in front of you and not realize that it's causing you a problem. So there's some gait benefits. Um, you know, the 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 cons of of wearing a zero drop shoe. I don't think that from a just a, a performance standpoint that there's cons, but the, uh, to me, where the cons come in is that if you're used to wearing a, a heeled shoe, if you're used to wearing you know a, a standard running shoe that's got a 10 millimeter drop, and you switch to a, an ultra, you switch to a, you know some of the other. I know there's another handful of brands now that have. I think actually most brands I think probably have zero drop uh, options these days. You switch to something that has a zero drop, and you're putting more stretch and strain on your calf, on your Achilles tendon. Um, it, it feels awkward. Um, it, you're likely to have some, some pretty serious aches and pains and adjust you know, in that adjustment process to going from, uh, uh, elevated shoe to a zero drop shoe. Now in my personal and probably professional opinion, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. It, it might, it might slow down some progress. It might be a bit uncomfortable for four, five, six months, but long-term looking at the next four, five, six, eight, ten 10 years, I think it's probably beneficial. That said, caveat time, if you're running in whatever shoes you're running in and you're not having any problems, I don't really see much of a need to go looking for a problem by switching. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not quite towing the, uh, the ultra line like I'm supposed to. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a fan. I'm definitely a proponent of it. I think that adjusting to it is, is worthwhile. But if you don't have a problem, you know, there's, there's, enough, there's enough reasons to to work on some, some areas that are causing you trouble, whether it's, you know, sleep, diet, strength training, little things, all those types of things, um, that if your shoes are working for you, whatever they are, go with them, roll with them. Um, if you want to maybe mix in some ultras, go for it, mix in something else, zero drop, go for it. But you know, if what you're doing is, is working, stick with what's working, I think. Um, and so that con can be switching to a zero drop shoe can cause you some problems in the short term. So, um, I don't know if that answers the question, but I'm definitely pro zero drop, uh, just because it's, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what we do. That's, that's, you know, when, when you come out of the womb, you're zero drop, and then you start wearing heels for the next, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years between regular, regular tennis shoes and, and, you know, dress shoes and things like that. Boots, yada, yada, yada. They all have a, a you know, some level of heel drop to another, and it shortens up your, your Achilles tendon shortens up your, your calf. And now when you, when you go barefoot, when you go with the zero drop, that can cause you problems. So avoid that. In my opinion, stay with, with uh, zero drop. Next question from Melody. If I had to convince someone that it's a good idea to get a coach, what could I say? Uh, honestly, don't like this question and not to, nothing, nothing personal Melody. Um, but I just, you know, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, no one needs a coach. So I feel like if you, if you need to convince someone or if you're trying to convince someone that they should work with a coach, um, that person's not ready to work with a coach. And, and from my perspective would probably be more of a pain in my butt than I would want to deal with as, as a, as an athlete that I'm working with. So I probably wouldn't want to have, uh, a, a new, uh, member of the Diz runners that really had to be talked into it. Um, that said, what are some of the benefits? So maybe you're just trying to say, Hey, here are some of the benefits that, that a coach might provide. I think there's tons of benefits. And, uh, and, and so maybe that's a better way to answer the question. 
Uh, what are some of the benefits of working with a coach? I think accountability, I think advice, I think having somebody that has some knowledge, some experience, having an external source of motivation, somebody to give you some encouragement, um, someone to kind of give you the, the opposite per- perspective or to give you some reasons to like, you know, kind of prevent you from thinking the sky is falling when something doesn't go well. Like, Hey, don't worry. We're going to be okay. Let's, let's look at this. Let's address this type of thing, whatever, kind of give that, that little bit of reason and perspective. Um, I think there's lots of benefits of having a coach. I like to think that I'm a pretty good coach and that I can get help, help my athletes improve more by, you know, helping to, to prevent them from making some of the same mistakes that I've made or some of the more common mistakes, helping to, to, um, make sure that they're on the right path to, to you know, kind of going up to the, the, the question a little bit earlier. Um, whose question was it? Uh, about the, uh, about Michaela's question about the training plan, you know, having a coach kind of makes it so that you don't have to second guess every choice you make. You just say, Hey, the coach said that I'm going to run this workout today. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust my coach and, and make sure it happens. So it gives you, uh, it helps to keep you from having to second guess of, well, should I have done that? Or could I have done that? Or would this have worked better? Like, no, you just have, you have your plan, you follow it. It takes that, that second guessing away. It just makes it much more clear what you're going to do. So I think there's lots of benefits to having a coach. If I didn't think that I wouldn't be coaching. If I thought that what I was doing was just snake oil sales, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep, you know, taking people's money every month. Um, so I think there's benefits to having a coach, but I think if you have to convince someone that they should get a coach, that that person is probably not ready to, to buy in and work with the coach. It's going to be more of a butting heads type of scenario a lot of times. And for me, that's just not something that I, I want to, to deal with if I can help it. So, um, I hope that how I answered the question makes sense. Melody, um, lots of benefits to having a coach, but if somebody needs to be talked into it, I just don't think they're quite ready yet. And, and you know, that's, that's okay. That's okay. Not everybody needs a coach. That's, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, next question. How is tank doing these days? So tank is our, now 12 year old American bulldog. He is getting old. He's already old. Uh, he's getting older by the day, uh, slowing down. He has a big old tumor in his mouth, big old case of the case of the cancer. Um, he's not doing great. He's not doing great. He's still, you know, he's, he still wags his tail when it's time to eat. He's still excited to eat. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely got, uh, the, the end is coming. The end is coming probably quickly, um, or quicker of course than any of us would, uh, would, would like. But, uh, you know, he's, he's still, uh, he's still a fan of the head scratch, still a fan of the butt scratch. Um, so, you know, we, we, uh, we just kind of keep taking it one day at a time with him, but, uh, but yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a good guy and, uh, he's going to be, he's going to be missed one of these days, but hopefully, uh, not today, hopefully not tomorrow. Uh, hopefully not for, for a good little while, although definitely emphasis on little at this point. Uh, next question. When are we getting some Diz tribe swag asking for a friend? Yeah, right. You're asking for a friend melody. Um, so, so here's, here's the deal. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag when it comes to the swag. There are, there are some, some wheels that are in motion. Uh, I am the the main friction point of this, uh, the, these wheels turning. Uh, I I'm getting in the way a bit more than I should. I need to help get out of the way and make some things happen. But uh, swag is coming. Swag is definitely coming. Uh, first priority is to take care of my athletes. So there's going to be some Diz Runners uh, gear going out. That's that's first priority. Um, and then the the next piece of the swag puzzle, probably looking sometime this summer. I believe that there's a, an anniversary or a birthday, whatever you want to call it, that uh, Diz Runs Radio is going to turn five. And uh, I think that that's probably when we're going to roll out some... Uh, some shirts and who knows what else might come with it, but, uh, stay tuned. Things that think wheels are in motion. Um, and if I can just get my act together, uh, the said wheels and said motion will bring to fruition some swag. So stay tuned, uh, certainly shirts and who knows what else coming soon 
to a uh, website near you. I don't know. I don't know exactly how that's all going to work out, but we'll get it figured out. I'm going to get it sorted uh, and, and have some stuff coming soon. Last of Melody's questions, I think. Goodness gracious, Melody, you're killing me this month, but I love it. I love it. Don't uh, don't take that the wrong way. Keep the questions coming. Uh, have you ever considered doing a runner's retreat? Maybe something where we all get together and go for a few runs and do a bit of training together and you teach us some things. Or is that or is there not really enough interest in this sort of thing? Um, it's a great question. It, it really is a good question. Um, I th- I've thought of it briefly. I have a, a friend, uh, Ms. Nora Bird. Some of you may may know her from Wazelle. She's kind of a, a, one of the pretty good, pretty pretty uh, kind of borderline sub elite uh, Wazelle runners. She lives in, in Wisconsin. She's a coach. She's in my my mastermind group of of other coaches. Uh, so I talk to her pretty much every week. And uh, I think just last weekend she did a, a retreat. She's been doing this retreat for the last couple of years. Um, they have a, a cabin up in Northern Wisconsin that, that, you know, her and I don't know, whatever, a half a dozen or a dozen people go to, and they, they do exactly what you're talking about, Melody. Uh, some running, some, you know, the bring in like a, a, a yoga instructor, do some yoga, um, this and that and the other. And sounds awesome. I would love to do it. Knowing what I know from Nora and, and the, the stress and anxiety and work that goes into it, it's a lot. And it, quite frankly, it's more than I have the bandwidth for right now. So, um, I would love to do something like that. Um, I just, I just know, I just know that I couldn't do it right, right now. Um, or I'd have to let other things drop that I'm not willing to let drop at the moment. So, um, you know, it's, it's out there. It's not something that's coming anytime soon. Um, you know, I think, I think the first focus would be to maybe try to, to do some type of, of Diz Runs team at the local, uh, trail Ragnar here. That's, that's, you know, I've said before, it's just, it's just maybe 30 miles, 35 miles from my house, um, and try to organize that first and even that right now feels like it's too much for me to organize this year. And I feel like, I, I know I've kind of hinted at that. I know that uh, Mr. Short is is uh, kind of leaning, leaning some pressure on me for that. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, I haven't completely written it off for 2019 yet, but it's like time keeps on slipping into the future. You know, Q1 is now now over with. Um, and, and I haven't even got, it's been on my to-do list for months and I haven't gotten anywhere with it to try to figure out the logistics and costs and, and what I would need to do to, to put a team together and, and what, you know, and, and make it potentially make it a thing. Um, and that's, that's with me just barely doing any of the, the legwork of putting a proper retreat together. Uh, that would just be, it would be awesome. But right now I just not, not feasible. Maybe, maybe the Ragnar is the first step to try to get, you know, get a, get a dozen of y'all clowns down here and, uh, we'll go, we'll go run together and, and camp together and, and maybe have some type of party or cookout or something at the house, uh, afterwards, Maybe that's, maybe that's phase one of eventually doing some type of Diz Runs retreat. But, but right now, that's just, whew, I'd love to do it. But it's just not, uh, not, not enough time, not, not enough uh, bandwidth at the moment to really put that together. So sorry if that's uh, crushing dreams, but uh, maybe someday, maybe someday. Um, three questions left. One from Julie says, uh, stealing this one from Allie on the Run Show because I think it's fun. If you could start a running club with anyone, living or dead, who would be the first five people that you would invite to join? This is one of those questions where I'm glad I go through and kind of write some answers out first to just kind of get uh, an idea because this one probably took me longer to think of the five freaking people that I would start to join a running club with than answering the other 20-something questions that we have today. So thank you for that, Julie, for uh, giving me something to actually like stop and think and like go, ah, well, I don't know. Um, and this is one that you can come at from a, a dozen ways, but I'm kind of coming at it from... You know, whether I would actually record these as podcast episodes or not, I don't know. But just kind of from that inquisitive, conversational side of things, the people I would like to talk to 
And if we could talk to on a run, I think that would be, be great. So very few runners, I think very few runners on this list. Cause I, you know, I mean, if you listen to the show long enough, you know, I don't really care that much about talking to elite runners. I'll have them on the show. I don't mind it, but yeah, you know, kind of, kind of whatever. I'd, I'd rather talk to people that have more of an interesting story than just like, I've always been the fastest runner in my class. And then I, I went to, you know, college on a scholarship and I was the fastest runner there. And then I went to, I started making a living running and, and, you know, like this, the stories are cool, but you know, a lot of us can't relate to those. So I'd rather talk to, to people. So I think, I think if I was picking five people to join my, uh, my new running club, um, and I could go anywhere in time to do this, I think the first person would be, uh, whoever it was. I, and my, my dad knows this actually, but I, I don't, I think it was, I think it was, I don't know. I don't know who, it, who the exact name is, but you know, that, that first person from our family who emigrated to the United States. So I'd love to, to talk to, to that family member. Um, I think it was in the, it was around the, the civil war time. So mid 1800s, uh, that came to the United States. So like, you know, just kind of, why, why did you leave Germany? Why, why did you settle where you settled? You know, like just kind of just hearing that, that story, that history, that, that firsthand, uh, kind of family, family stuff. Uh, I think would be pretty cool. So you know, starting a running club with that person and, and, and sharing some miles uh, and some conversation would be would be pretty cool. Uh, second one on my list, uh, probably not a surprise if you stopped and think about it, especially knowing that how I'm answering this question coming from, uh, would be one Mr. Dave Matthews. So uh, obviously I'm a big fan of, of the Dave Matthews band and their music, um, but I've heard interviews with him and some stories and things like that where it's just, I mean, this guy is just so, there's so many layers and so many levels and so many, you know, I think great conversations that you could have with him um, as well. So, so I think that would be somebody that would be fun. Uh, I, I'm, you know, when it comes to stand up, I'm a, I'm a definitely a Seinfeld fan. I love the show. Uh, I've loved some of his stand up and, and, you know, comedians with cars getting coffee. Um, and so, you know, having somebody that's, that's funny, that's observant, that, that can kind of point some things out and crack some jokes. I think that would be somebody that would be fun to have in the, in the running club as well. Um, the only real runner on the list would be Prefontaine. Um, and just kind of, you know, I think that, I think that there's some, some stories there too, about, you know, just how, how driven he was and, 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 you know, beyond just the running side of things. But I think, I think there's some, some, from the, the little bit of knowledge I have of pre from watching a couple of movies and, and articles and things like that. Um, I think there could be some, some good conversation had there as well. Um, that wouldn't be, again, it wouldn't be just focused on, on his running. Um, but on, on a lot of other, other parts of his life and, and, you know, how he, kind of was formed into the person that he became. Um, and then last but not least, this, this was one where I was really struggling and thinking and like, where would it be? Um, and I don't know, I guess it's not one, I guess it's two people. So I guess I'm, I'm stretching the truth here and going for six, but, uh, Lewis and Clark, Lewis and Clark, um, you know, kind of the first, the first white people to go West of the Mississippi, all the way to the, uh, the Pacific ocean. Um, not that I've traveled that whole stretch of area before and kind of know what it's like now, but I've, I've, been in parts of it and seen parts of it, but I would just love to hear again, you know, I'm kind of a history fan in case you can't tell. Um, but it would be interesting to, to talk with them and you know, run with them, hear stories of, of what that epic, epic adventure was like from, you know, going from Louisiana. Um, at least I think it was, didn't they, I don't know where they embarked from. I know it was part of the Louisiana purchase, but whatever. Um, but from where it was, they embarked from to get to the West coast, to, to see the Pacific ocean, um, what it was like back then, what it was like, you know, interacting with the native Americans, what it was like just completely unexplored, undocumented country. Like you read about it in the history books, but to actually talk to them, that would be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. So those are, those are my five, six. If you want to count Lewis and Clark as two separate people. Um, I don't know, probably not the list you would have thought, but I think that would be fun. And, and I mean, if I thought about it for another couple hours, I'd probably come up with another list of five completely different people for different reasons. But uh, that's what I'm going to go with, Julie, for your question. That is definitely a great, 
Great, great question. Uh, two more. One from Ellen. Uh, with running recommendations always changing and learning through experience and what some things, you know, that maybe you, uh, sorry here, and learning through experience, what are some things that maybe you swore by or didn't swear by that have changed over the years? So I think that the biggest two are kind of the, probably what you what you expect at this point. So, um, you know, my, my belief in my faith in heart rate training and my belief in my faith in, in being more low carb um, and intermittent fasting, things like that. So, so you know, I mean, not too long ago, shoot, just a, a few years ago, um, I was kind of, you know, pretty much in on, on you know, the kind of the, the standard running nutrition of, of making sure you're having plenty of carbs and fueling with carbs during your run and things like that. Um, I believed in, in the idea of heart rate training or I believed in running easy, but, but five, six years ago, I didn't really believe in that either. You know, it was kind of like, Hey, you know, no pain, no gain. I had that same mindset that a lot of people do just cause it makes sense. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't logically make sense that if I run slow, I'm going to race fast. It doesn't logically make sense that if I don't give my body a lot of, of carbohydrates, which you know, there's no question that our bodies can convert our food into carbohydrates, into glycogen to be used as energy. There's, there's no, there's no doubt in that. There's no, there's no questioning that science. All right. But what, what I didn't really know until I got into it is that our bodies can also, if we, if we cut back on the carbs, learn to, to burn fat more efficiently, to, to make fat into, into a usable fuel source. Um, it's not as easily done, but once our bodies become efficient at it, it's, it's sustainable, especially for us running longer distances. Um, you know, I, I didn't, it didn't make sense that running slower would get you faster until you start looking at the data. Do you start looking at the science? Do you really start going deep into the physiology, which, which is my, what my background is, but you know, I didn't, I didn't look at it deep enough. So, you know, kind of looking at some of that science, looking at some of the, the, you know, reading some books that are outside of the mainstream that are fly, kind of fly against, you know, the, the, the assumed truth a little bit, um, you know, kind of seeing some of the errors in, in the ways that, that everybody reports on. Yeah. You know, they, they tried this, this low carb diet and their performance got worse. And so obviously it doesn't work. Well, the, the way that those, those trials and, and studies were set up, they're pretty much doomed to failure, you know? So, you know, looking at, at some of the studies that things are a bit more, uh, give it a chance to, to succeed and looking at my own situation. Uh, I've definitely kind of changed my mind. Um, not that it's universal, not that everybody needs to do it this way, but for me, I, right now, I don't see any reason to veer away from this heart rate training nonsense that I've been doing. I don't see any reason to veer away from, you know, intermittent fasting, low carb, high fat type of diet. They both work very, very well for me. I feel as good as I've ever felt. I'm running as better as, as, as well as I've ever run. Um, I'm as healthy, I think, as I've ever been. I'm going to keep on keeping on. Now, will that change five years from now? Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be some new, some new research, some new science that, that pushes me somewhere different, a different experience that'll push me somewhere up. I, I don't know. Um, but th- those are two things that, uh, you know, most, most running recommendations, um, I think most knowledgeable people are, are in on the, the run slow thing, but maybe not quite as diligent as I am or following the Maffetone formula, but certainly the, the dietary thing, uh, flies counter to what probably what a lot of you guys listening do. Uh, certainly what a lot of the quote unquote experts say. Um, but, uh, the, the science that I've looked at, I can see where some of those, like I said, where some of those studies have gone off the rails a bit, or they don't, they, they were set up for failure or set up for, uh, things to not work out as, 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 you know, for the low carb things to fail. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that that's definitely an area where I've changed what I believe and what I, what I certainly what I practice for myself, if nothing else. Um, 
Last but not least, and I can feel the voice going. So let's uh, let's get through this last question. Great, great batch of questions this month, y'all. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Uh, next, qu- last question comes from Adu. Uh, it says, "Just finished my third marathon PR from a th- to a three twenty from a three thirty two. Well, first of all, sir, congratulations on a huge PR, a twelve minute PR, especially at that point from a three thirty two down to three twenty. That's monster. So congratulations about that. Uh, continuing on with the question, he says, "I am happy about it, but I'm wondering if I could have gone harder because I did not have the soreness." or feelings of dead legs. I know the feeling of lactate buildup. I get it. I got it on my 10 miler and 60, which ran in 68 minutes. I did not experience that this time. All that to ask, is this a sign that I could set my sights on a faster time? What do you think? Um, I do. I, I, I I think that the simple answer is that, that, yeah, I think, I think there's probably some more speed in there. If that's something that you want to work towards. Um, and it sounds like that you're up for that challenge. So I think that it's absolutely something you could do. Uh, I mean, if you just trimmed off 12 minutes off of your PR, um, you know, I think that, that, that just, I think that more often than not, that's kind of the tip of the iceberg. That said, I I wouldn't necessarily say that you can now all of a sudden shoot for a three Oh five, um, for your next race. Now, maybe that's something that you could get to down the road. Um, you know, but a lot of times these, you know, you get a big jump and then you might have a race or two that you don't, don't jump very much. Maybe you don't even pre-R at all. And then there'll be, might, there could potentially be another big jump, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm, let me stop there. Um, yes, I think you can set your sights higher. Uh, I think it's, it's doable. I think there's more speed in there. Um, I think that the big thing is, you know, to not, to, to maintain the same sound principles that helped you go from 332 to 320. Um, whether that's, you know, whatever that's been diet wise, whatever it's been nutrition, um, you know, training wise, hopefully running, hopefully you kind of, uh, maybe taking some page out of my book with some of the heart rate training, easy running, uh, hit your hard workouts hard, but make sure your easy runs are easy. Um, but whatever you're doing, it's, it's been working. Um, I don't think that, that in a good marathon, you really shouldn't feel much lactic acid buildup or lactate buildup. That that's not something that should happen. Um, because you shouldn't be running, anaerobically for the full three hours, which is what would, what would cause that, that, uh, lactic acid to build up. Um, so that's where I'm a little bit fuzzy with, uh, and it's just semantics. I'm not trying to, 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 uh, get too technical here. Um, but yes, I think you can, you can absolutely set your sights on going faster. If that's something you want to do, it's, it's, it's going to take, you know, you're not going to run faster than 320 without putting in some good effort, consistent effort, um, working hard, but if you're willing to do all that, I think that, that there's absolutely room to keep going faster if that's something that you want to do. So, uh, congratulations on a, on a huge PR. That's awesome. And, uh, good luck going, uh, going even faster if that's something that, uh, that you want to work towards. And, uh, I, I think that there's room there to do it. So, uh, hope all that, that helps. Uh, once again, y'all thank you for a, a great list of questions, a long list of questions, but Hey, as the group continues to grow, that's more and more people in the group, more and more people a- asking questions and hopefully by getting so many different questions, that means more and more people that, uh, that I'm helping because ultimately that's the name of the game. So once again, if you want to get yourself in the Facebook group, disruns.com slash Facebook is a link that'll take you right there. Click to click request to join. We will let you in. If you're on Facebook, just search for the Disruns tribe. You can get in there that way as well. Um, I'm not going to try to do any support extra stuff today. This episode's already long enough. So if you want to help out the show, you know all the ways. If you don't, stay tuned. I'll talk about them next episode. But uh, for now, just join the Facebook group. Come join the party there. That that certainly supports the show and supports you as well because it's a great community. Uh, we're, we're, we're starting to get close to, to 1,000 people in the group. Um, obviously, not all 1,000 are, are active every day or anything like that, but there's a pretty good chunk of y'all that are active paying attention. I know there's a bunch of lurkers too that are still active, still paying attention, just not posting as much. That's cool too. Come join the party. Uh, we, we don't bite. Uh, we would love to have you. Uh, 
dizruns.com slash Facebook. And until next time, please be well. Take good care. Don't forget to support the sponsors, exoskin.us. Uh, and until next time, talk soon. See you guys.